Welcome to Jury Duty. I'm your host, Carrie Antholis. This season of Jury Duty explores the trial of Kyle Rittenhouse, who was charged with the reckless homicide of Joseph Rosenbaum, the intentional homicide of Anthony Huber, and the attempted intentional homicide of Gage Grosskreutz. As Rittenhouse was the undisputed shooter of all three men, his legal team argued that the shootings were in self-defense. In our last episode, we concluded our look at the testimony of Rittenhouse associate Joanne Fiedler. On today's episode, we look at the testimony of Nathan De Bruin, a freelance photographer who resides in Kenosha and documented the events surrounding the Rittenhouse shootings. That's coming up right after the break. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. On the afternoon of Tuesday, November 9th, Nathan De Bruin takes the stand for the defense. De Bruin appears to be in his late 20s or early 30s. He is thin with long, sharp facial features and sports a blonde buzz cut. He wears a blue-gray suit, a gingham-patterned dress shirt, and a red tie. Defense attorney Mark Richards takes De Bruin through a series of questions about his work as a freelance photojournalist who resides in Kenosha and who covered the protests and riots beginning in the immediate aftermath of the shooting of Jacob Blake. These questions appear to be intended to persuade the jury that this witness offers a uniquely reliable and accurate visual narrative of the events of August 25th, 2020. Now, directing your attention to the night, the second night, which would be Monday night, did you um, come down and cover the civil unrest? I did. Okay. Was that night different than the first night? Yes. Okay. Could you describe for the jury that difference, please? Uh, the difference was um, there was a lot of vehicles uh, that, that the city used as barricades that were um, ended up being torched, lit, lit on fire. Um, there was a heavy police presence. Um, also, when the police were present, there was a lot of rioters, protesters throwing objects at the police. During the night of the 24th, you took a lot of still photo photographs? Yes, I did. And you also took video photographs, correct? Yes, I did. And a lot of those still photographs and video photographs were of interest from that evening to law enforcement regarding the arson that was occurring in the community, correct? Correct. And you provided all of your information to the ATF, FBI? Yes, I did. You let them download your um, cameras and phones? Yes. Correct me if I'm wrong, but you were able to tell the story through pointing at pictures that had date stamps, times, and you were able, because you're a resident, able to tell places. There's your leaving. You phrase your question. When you took a photograph, did you know where it was taken? I did. Did you know what time it was? I did. How'd you do that? The time stamp on the camera. Okay. And then my knowledge of being a resident in the city most of my life. Okay. And you're the first witness that has ever done this, but you brought your own exhibits, correct? I did. Okay. And I didn't ask you to do that? You did not. Okay. 
Richards begins with a photograph taken by the witness just after 10 p.m. on August 25th and leads De Bruin through his visual chronicle of the events leading up to the shootings. Defendants Exhibit 115, could you tell me what that is? That is a picture of a cone that is on fire with Rosenbaum with his hands up with his, what I assume to be a bake that you just got out of jail with at the time, um, in an angry stance. Okay. And where is Mr. Rosenbaum standing? The ultimate gas station. Okay. In the street? Um, yes, just off, off of the driveway to go into ultimate gas. Okay. And in the four of the picture, there's some people trying to get some cones burning? Correct. And there's, everybody seems to be looking in a general northerly direction, correct? Correct. Do you know who or what they're looking at? Um, there was recently a dumpster fire that was on fire, I do believe, that was before this. Okay. 116, once again. Uh, once again, um, there is some protesters, riot rioters, adding to the fire, um, adding more cones to make the fire bigger, with Rosenbaum in the back still screaming. Defense Exhibit 117, what does this depict? This is a garbage can that was just recently on fire, and a gentleman, I do not know who it is, um, holding a loaded pistol. Directing your attention to Defendants Exhibit 118, what does that show? So there was a time where the police pushed us towards the ultimate gas station, but then they retreated. And that's when the rioters and protesters advanced again northbound um, on Sheridan Road. This is a photo of Rosenbaum walking to the St. James lot that was under construction at the time, just before he tips over a porta potty. Defense Exhibit 119. Could you tell me what that is? This is Mr. Rosenbaum um, with another gentleman who I do not know, um, tipping over a porta potty that was in the St. James lot that was under construction at the time. Showing you what's been marked is Exhibit 120. Tell me what that depicts. This is a, a trailer that was also in the St. James parking lot at the time. After they flipped over the porta potty, they went back for a trailer, and Mr. Rosenbaum helped pull and push this trailer out to the road that was eventually tipped on its side and lit on fire. And did Mr. Rosenbaum get anything from that trailer? Yes, he did. He, once it was out um, in the middle of the road and set on its side, there was chains dangling from the, what I perceived the front end of the trailer that you would connect to a vehicle. There was multiple chains hanging from there and he armed himself with a chain. Showing you what's been marked, Defense Exhibit 121. Could you tell me what that is? This is how, like I said earlier, a uh, trailer was pulled out of the St. James parking lot. Um, th this is the trailer itself tipped over on its side um, and being lit on fire next to a garbage can. And you can also see Mr. Rosenbaum armed himself with a chain, and there's still also chains hanging from the trailer. Defense Exhibit 122, once again. This is also uh, another picture of Mr. Rosenbaum with his, what I assume to be a bag you got out of jail in his right hand and the chain in his left hand. Okay. Defendant's Exhibit 123, do you recognize that? I do. This is Mr. Rosenbaum now fully 
in the upright position, um, holding his chain in the bag that I described, and he has a blue bandana wrapped around his face. 124. This is a uh, farther away picture of the trailer that was tipped on its side. Um, Mr. Rosenbaum is in, away from the fire, um, now at this time, still holding his um, bag, and I cannot tell what is in his other hand. And it was brought to my knowledge that another person in here is named Joshua Zeminski. Okay, and Mr. Zeminski is the individual in the khaki pants with the black hoodie? Yes. And he's, what's he doing to the fire? It looks like he is kicking more debris into the fire to accelerate it. Defendant's 125. I was advancing um, again south on Sheridan Road. I am now at the, almost the corner where the gas station next to Car Source is, and the police just released more gas or tear bombs. Were you anywhere near the gunshots that eventually broke out about 10 to midnight? Yes, I was. Okay. Showing you what's been marked as Defense Exhibit 126. Do you know what that is? Yes, this is one of the very last photos I took from Sheridan Road in 61st, I want to say. This photo is of the armored sheriff vehicles um, showing up to attend to Gage that was just shot in his bicep. Okay. Showing you a picture of Defense Exhibit 127. After the shots were fired um, and it started getting really intense, um, I decided to retreat and go back home for the night. I did not have a vehicle down there. Um, I was walking back towards 22nd Avenue and there was gunshots going on all around me. And there was a group of police outside, I don't know the technical term, I think it's like a correctional use facility here in Kenosha. Um, they were out there with their rifles out and pistols drawn, and I had a black camera around my neck, and they pointed their lights at me, and I raised my hands, um, and they just told me to keep going, and I asked what's going on, and they just confirmed that there was multiple gunshots. Defense 128. This is a little further up 63rd Street, just past the last officers that I talked to. Okay. You were asked whether or not you heard any statements from Mr. Rosenbaum. Is that a fair statement? Yes, it is. And do you remember what Mr. Rosenbaum said or did during that night? Yes, I remember a few phrases. Okay. You talk about the bag. Do you remember that? Yes. And you made a statement about the source of the bag? I did. Why did you believe that? That he just got out of jail? There's calls for hearsay speculation. How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. 
For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Judge Bruce Schrader asks the jury to step out of the courtroom and ultimately overrules the objection because the witness heard Rosenbaum make a statement that led to his belief about where the bag came from. When the jury returns, Richards re-asks De Bruin the question regarding Rosenbaum's statement about the bag. Sir, did you hear Mr. Rosenbaum say anything about the bag? I did. What was that? That he's not afraid to go back to jail. <clears throat> and you told the detective that when you were interviewed back on September 11th of 2020, correct? Correct. Richards then turns his attention to De Bruin's observations at the Ultimate gas station on 60th and Sheridan Road in the moments immediately before the shootings. Now, directing your attention to the Ultimate gas station, approximately 5900 Sheridan Road, did you see um, an incident regarding a dumpster? I did. Did you see who was lighting and pushing that dumpster? I did not. Did you see... What happened to that dumpster? I did. What? It was, the fire was put out okay. by a fire extinguisher. And when the fire in the dumpster was put out by the fire extinguisher, was there any reaction from the people who were starting the fire? Yes, a very angry reaction. Okay. Did you recognize or notice anybody's specific reaction at that time? I did, Mr. Rosenbaum. Okay, describe that, please. He was very agitated. Um, he was yelling, fuck the police, over and over and over. I'm not afraid to go back to jail. And shoot me, N-word. Shoot me, N-word. But he was using the whole word. Correct. At a Black Lives, Lives Matter rally? Correct. And he had to be held back from attacking people. Is that a fair statement? That is a fair statement. Our trial audio source cuts off in this moment and resumes with De Bruin testifying that his attention was caught by a man running from the ultimate gas station. Did you know the significance of him running at the time? I did not. Had you heard anything before you saw this individual running at you? Not running at you, but running? No. Okay. And do you know who that individual is now? I do. And how do you know that? Through identification through photographs in the media, I okay. guess I could say. Okay, and who is that person? Uh, Kyle Rittenhouse. Okay. Describe what you observed. What direction was Kyle running? He was running southbound towards 63rd Street. Okay, and how, how far did you see him get? I saw him enter the car source that's on the corner across from the hospital. I saw him go up in that driveway. And describe what happened next. I heard what seemed to be like a firework, and then I heard, I could tell between them, uh, there was multiple gunshots. And then what did you observe? I observed Kyle 
walking down the same driveway that I witnessed him going up and then pick up his pace as he continued northbound on Sheridan Road. Okay. Was anybody taking note of Kyle as he headed in a northward direction on Sheridan? There was people screaming at him um, and also following him. Okay. Did you see anybody run up to him? I did. Okay. And how close were you to Kyle when this individual ran up to him? 15 feet, maybe. Okay. And that individual who ran up to him, what happened? Um, what I seen was an individual run up to him with a skateboard and swing it at him, letting go of the skateboard, and it hit Kyle between the neck and, I would say, the mid-back. And the skateboard, I don't know if Kyle kicked it because he was running when the skateboard fell, but the skateboard flew off to the side. Okay. And... Did that knock Kyle to the ground? Just, just tell us what you saw, sir. He's, he stumbled. He wasn't necessarily on the ground at that point. Okay. And then what did you observe? The next thing I observed was, it, at the time, I did not know who it was. Um, now I can say Anthony Huber. It looked like he was trying to subdue Kyle. And that's when everything happened in a matter of a second. Um, that's when Kyle turned, it looked like he turned cause he, Kyle was on the ground at this time. And that's when he kind of turned and he released one shot and it hit Anthony Huber in the chest. Okay. Did you see Anthony Huber do anything with his skateboard as he's trying to, as you said, subdue Kyle? Yes. Um, he also whacked him. I don't know if it was on his head or like his neck area again. Okay. This is all happening very fast. Yes, it did. Richards then shows video from an unidentified source of the shootings of Anthony Huber and Gage Grosskreutz. The video is very shaky and it is nearly impossible to make out what is going on in the frame. What did you observe when Kyle went to the ground? I observed two gentlemen run up to Kyle. One, it looked like, was trying to hop on top of him and take his gun, and the other was hesitant um, of approaching him, um, but then Ant he Kyle Rittenhouse fired the shot, and it hit Anthony Huber. Okay, did you see anything after that? Um, uh, he, who I now know as Gage, um, took a couple steps forward towards Kyle and um, with a gun, and Kyle shot him in the bicep. Did you see what Gage Grosskreutz was doing with his hands? Yes, he had a firearm in his hand. You could see that? Yes, I could see that. And he was approaching Kyle with a firearm in his hand? I don't know if he was running with it, but once he got up to Kyle, I did see the firearm. Okay, and what did he do as he approached Kyle? So I would have been on the back side of Gage, so I don't know. Did the witness use the formal mode of address as in order to do so? Go ahead. Uh, it, it, Mr. Koskoitz, uh, as opposed to using his first name. Oh, okay. Uh, Mr. How do you say his last name? Grosskoitz. Grosskoitz. Good enough. For okay. Um, Mr. Grosskoitz's back was towards me. Um, well, it was at an angle. I wasn't directly behind him. So I only could see one of his hands. Okay. And 
describe what you saw happen. He had his firearm out, um, pointing at Kyle. Okay. And as the gun's pointing at Kyle, what happened? Kyle shot Mr. Grosskreutz. Richards then pivots to ask DeBruin about a meeting he had with the prosecutors in this case. Now, you were originally subpoenaed by the state, correct? Correct. You met with the state representatives, Mr. Binger and Mr. Krauss, correct? Correct. And there was some tension in that room, correct? There was. And they weren't happy with what you were telling them. Is that a fair statement? That's a fair statement. I'm going to ask... Uh... Uh, a, it is leading, and B, I want no reaction. Facial reaction, please. Describe your meeting with Mr. Binger and Mr. Kraus in their office. Objection to relevance. Answer it. Please. Um, I don't know the date off the top of my head, um, but I was called down to the district attorney's office. Um, I met with Mr. Binger and I don't remember his name. The individual who's in the blue. Um, and we were, I was called into a, a room, sat at a table, um, handed my police statement, um, got to read over my police statement. And then I was asked if I would like to add anything um, to the police statement. And I said, I would not. Um, Mr. Binger pulled out a cell phone and showed me a video and also a photo which was actually one photo that I brought today and asked me to, if I knew who a gentleman was in that photo. And I said, I did not. And he asked me to, or he, um, he said, this is uh, Joshua Zeminski. Um, I, he, Mr. Binger also has a case with him and I am subpoenaed for that case also. And he says, well, that's who that is. He put the phone down, he picked the phone back up and says, who is this? And I confusingly said, like, Joshua Zeminski, and he's like, would you like to add that to your statement? And I just felt I didn't want to change my statement. Okay. And as a result, what did you do? Um, I hired an attorney. And that's Mr. Rose? Yes. Given the last part of DeBruin's testimony, it's no surprise that it is James Krause who handles the cross-examination for the prosecution. So your, your testimony is that the state, in the case against Kyle Rittenhouse, wanted you to present incriminating evidence against Mr. Zeminski? I don't know why he asked me that question. It, I it, found it odd, too. Is it possible you didn't understand the question? No, he was pretty clear. And then you said you went and you hired an attorney? I did. How did the meeting end? What do you mean, how did the meeting end? How did our meeting end? Our meeting or with my attorney? No, I can't ask what your attorney. I mean, our meeting in my in my office with Mr. Binger and Ms. Beasy. Um, it ended with Mr. Binger saying that he would be in touch with me in regards to the Zeminski case. Because we indicated that we would subpoena you for that case. You did subpoena me for that case. And that was the absolute end of the meeting? That I recall. So we never asked you to put anything in about or change anything about Kyle Rittenhouse? Not specifically, no. Because Kyle Rittenhouse, that name doesn't even appear in your statement, does it? Mm, I don't think so. Not to my knowledge. And so the discussion about changing statements, did, did we actually ask you to retype your statement out? 
No. So what do you mean we asked you to change it? I'm assuming there wasn't details, but I'm assuming either add Kyle's name or because I was also showing a video off of a cell phone by Mr. Binger. I don't know what that video or whose video that was, but it was of the shooting. And that's when I was asked if I wanted to add anything else to that statement. And I said, no. And you took that literally like actually writing out your statement? Yeah. Okay. You did not take that to mean, is there anything your statement doesn't cover or that we should know? No. You said literally we would retype the statement that you took November 11th. Well, you, he didn't say retype it, but he said, do I want to add anything to that? And to how I interpret that, that's pretty much altering my statement. And I felt uneasy about that. You added things to your statement on the stand today. Um, that was because I recall in videos of certain things happening that when I, the day I gave my statement, when I walked to the police station, when I walked into that police station, there wasn't even a, a glass door so on that. So how is, I'm sorry, how is that different than what attorney Binger asked? Did you want to add anything? How is that any different uh, besides the, than asking if you remember other things? I, when I had a meeting with Mr. Richards, the following night, I want to say, or the following day, around like maybe 3, 3.30, at his office. Mm -hmm. And I was also showing videos there. And prior to things happening in those videos, I was saying things that actually were just about to happen. And he asked me, oh, uh, do you mind if I bring this up? And I said, absolutely. But I did not change. I did not alter that statement. I did not write a new statement out. So no one asked you to write a new statement? No, not to write a new statement, just add so we or both, alter. We both asked the same thing, if you knew more beyond what your statement said. But the way Mr. Binger wanted it, how he portrayed it to me was to add on to my statement physically. Mr. Richards just took notes. Did, did someone ask you to type out a new statement? I'm telling you how I, I perceived it. You have a bias in this case, don't you? You don't want Mr. Rittenhouse to be found guilty or not guilty? Well, wait a minute. You don't want him to be found guilty or not guilty? You don't, you, you don't have an interest or a bias in which way this trial comes out? I don't know. I'm did a you, photographer, photojournalist. That's what I do. I take photos. Did you go and give an interview to a, uh, a gossip site that is biased against the district attorney? I don't know uh, what his site represents. So you actually went to the media or someone who claims to be media to talk about this meeting with the prosecutors. First of all, he came to me. I didn't go to him. Let's make that clear. And you understand that he has a bias in this case. I I don't know. I, I don't know him personally. I'm sorry. Judge Schrader calls for a break. Afterwards, Prosecutor Krauss asks about some of the additions that DeBruin made to his statement after speaking with the defense attorneys, including his addition of the fact that Joseph Rosenbaum had to be held back as he went on his verbal rant. You make no mention at all of Mr. Rosenbaum having to be held back. Because this was taken on 9-11, I was a year prior to this when I walked into a building that I really didn't even want to be in. Um, but the ATF 
however you guys work on your cases, it was brought to you guys, not me voluntarily. The ATF brought it to you and got you guys involved. By you guys, you mean the detective that's investigating this case? Yes. I had a homicide detective over at my house. So you gave the statement on September 11th, 2020? Correct. Is it fair to say that your memory of the events was better on September 11th, 2020? Pretty much the same. Uh, you're not going to forget this situation ever. Well, then why did you forget to put things in your report? I... First of all, it was, like I said, when I first walked into the police station, I walked through a police station that didn't even have a door. Didn't have no glass attached. There was glass on the ground, completely all shattered on the ground. I have photos, don't worry. Now, you and your statement, there's no mention of Mr. Rosenbaum having to be held back. Correct. There's no mention of him saying anything about shoot me N-words. Sorry, can you repeat that? Sure, sorry. There's nothing in there about saying, shoot me N-words. Correct. And is that because you saw it on a video later? When I was showing a video at Mr. R Richard's office, as the video was playing, I was telling things that was happening before the video was actually playing. Like, I don't know, before the, the details that I said coming out my mouth happened on the video. So did you observe him say that or did you see it on a video? I saw, I heard him say it and like, like, what are, what's your question? On August 25th, as you were there that night, did you see Mr. Rosenbaum say that? Yes. Or is that based on video no. after? No, I saw him. Oh, I heard him say that. But it's not in your statement. Correct. Uh, there's nothing in your statement about seeing uh, Mr. Rittenhouse walked down to car source. Like little details like that. I'm not an investigator, so I don't know to give those type of details. I'm sorry. So, so this homicide suspect and his actions seconds before the alleged homicide, that's a little detail. Also remember going back. I didn't, this whole situation got blown out of the water when the ATF got involved and I was so many people showing up at my house, showing up at my job. The FBI showed up at my job and asking me questions. So when this statement was given, I gave it to the best recollection of my memory that I could. Prosecutor Krauss also proceeds through a number of aspects of the witness's testimony about Joseph Rosenbaum, suggesting that while Rosenbaum's actions may have been violent and destructive, De Bruin never saw him carrying a gun or a knife or causing anyone injury. Krauss also suggests that the witness is seeking to make a profit on his photos, which the witness denies. On redirect, defense attorney Mark Richards asks a series of questions intended to suggest that his manner of asking the witness if he wanted to add to his statement was different from the way the prosecution asked the witness about adding to his statement. And with that, the witness is dismissed and we conclude this episode of Jury Duty, the trial of Kyle Rittenhouse. Join us tomorrow as we continue our exploration of the defense's case with three more of their witnesses. 
The Real Housewives is a guilty pleasure for most, but if you're looking to not feel guilty about that pleasure, tune in to Everything Iconic with me, Danny Pellegrino, where I break down all the messy moments and behind-the-scenes antics of Bravo's popular franchise. And on Everything Iconic, I also interview celebrity guests like Kelly Ripa, Kiki Palmer, Drew Barrymore, Cameron Diaz, and more about their guilty pleasures, their past work, and so much more. So if you're pop culture obsessed and find yourself watching way too much reality TV like me, tune in to Everything Iconic with Danny Pellegrino, wherever you listen to podcasts. ACAST helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. ACAST.com You can find more information about this trial on our Jury Duty Crime Story Patreon page or at crimestory.com. Jury Duty is created, hosted, and produced by yours truly, Carrie Antholis. It was co-produced by Chris Taracone and Aaron Karenik, and it was edited by Chris Taracone. Our consulting producer is Brittany Bookbinder. Music for this episode was provided by Strike Audio, and Trial Audio is courtesy of Law and Crime Networks. Thank you for joining us, and we hope you will come back for the next episode of Jury Duty, The Trial of Kyle Rittenhouse. <laughs>